Let's revisit our fleeting youth one more time today when we discuss our favorite YA tropes, question what is and isn't YA, and can we really say we've fully explored a topic if Jackie hasn't gotten at least one rant in? Can I get a YA? <laughs> hey there, romance nerds. Welcome back to another episode of Raging Romantics. I'm Jen. I'm Jackie. And this podcast is brought to you by Northern Onondaga Public Library. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about all things related to Romance Landia. With that being said, please be aware that sometimes our material may be a little too sensitive for younger listeners. If you need to wait until they go to bed, we'll still be here for you. So without further ado, are you ready, Jen? Oh, I'm ready, Jackie. All right. Let's rage! All right, Jen and Maddie, are you ready for this one? How do you stop Jacob Black? From attacking you. Turn into Bella? You pick up a stick, throw it, and yell fetch. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, I'll give you that one. She could have one. She gets one like once a year. Well, hello there, fellow kids. Welcome back to our last look at YA romance here at Raging Romantics. I am still Jen. I've still got Jackie here, and for her final appearance, Maddie is back. Woo! Thank you to all of our beautiful romance nerds turning in once again for another discussion between the three of us. As always, thank you to the Northern Onondaga Public Library for allowing us to still record the podcast. We are proof your local library is very cool. So if it's been a while, maybe think about visiting yours again. You know, just an idea. Before we can get into our discussion, I want to remind everyone who doesn't listen to the minisodes that number one, the minisodes are great since we started doing scripts and you should listen to them. <laughs> and number two, we are running a very exciting Ruby Dixon giveaway. <laughs> Jackie, tell them what they could win. Cool stuff. No. Okay. So cool <laughs> you have the rest of this month, that is April 2022, to enter our Ruby Dixon giveaway. First prize, you will win a brand new edition of Ice Planet Barbarians, Georgie and Vectal's story mm. with the beautiful cover art. We know it. We love it. You will also get stickers. Whoa. We love stickers. And there's also a second prize. So have no fear. Second prize, we'll get stickers and a bookmark. And the bookmark is gorgeous, I will also say. Um, to enter, just shoot us an email, ragingromantics at nopal.org. And let us know your favorite Ice Planet Barbarians couples, factoid, yada, 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 all that jazz. That's all. Thanks again, Ruby. All right, cool. And with that important housekeeping out of the way, I want to welcome Nopal's super cool intern, Maddie, one more time to the podcast. Thank Woo! you. Thanks so much for hanging out with us again today to talk about YA romance for the last time. Never again, Jackie. Yeah. What are we going to be talking about today? I thought today that we could talk about some romance tropes and some examples of them appearing mm. in YA romances. I think that sounds really fun. Yeah. I'm super excited. So, Jackie, mm. I want to preface this to our listeners with I inspired a rant in you when we were starting to prepare for this episode and I sent you this very innocent email of like hey Jackie we're gonna be talking about tropes so come with a couple to the episode and hey you could really talk about Sarah J Moss like all the all that you want and I was I was not expecting the reaction that I got so do you just want to get the rant out of the way why thank you Jen I would love to just rant we know I love a good rant and um 
This one, I think, is something I wasn't really aware of until I was actually separating out my fiction here at the library, and I was creating genre shelves. I have a special shelf just for fantasy and sci-fi. It's glorious. If you're in the northern Onondaga area, you should definitely come check it out. I will recommend a lot of books to you. Um, but Sarah J. Moss, in case you weren't aware, is one of my personal favorite authors. I talk about her a lot, and I talk about Akatar, which is A Court of Thorns and Roses, a lot. I know. I am aware. Um, and Jen very innocently, as she said, was like, hey, you can finally talk about fantasy YA. And my immediate reaction was, Sarah J. Moss is not fantasy YA. <laughs> that was very loud. I apologize. I'm very tired at this point. Um, Sarah J. Moss is not fantasy YA. She is continuously shelved there, but she is not. Um, her only YA series that she has is Throne of Glass. And that one is even more of a crossover towards the end, much like how we talked about last time that Harry Potter is that middle grade YA crossover. Akatar is frequently shelved as YA despite the fact that it has adult characters, adult themes, and is marketed typically towards new adult and adult the adult reader group. When Sarah J. Moss wrote this and when she continues to publicize for this, she talks about how it is for adult readers. And this issue, this issue of books, fantasy books and sci-fi especially, if they're written by women, being shelved as YA is pervasive throughout the industry. Frequently, women authors who write YA fantasy are labeled as YA, despite the very fact that their books simply aren't. Sylvia Moreno-Garcia even addressed this with her books recently, saying, sci-fi fantasy by women seems to be automatically classified as young adult, which is where the error comes from. Now again, we can argue that appropriateness isn't entirely a good way of deeming um, or talking about books. Anyone can read any book they want to. We do not censor here at the library. And if a teen wants to check out an adult book, totally fine. Vice versa, also totally fine. But the problem really doesn't lie there with the consumer. The problem lies further with the publisher and the bigger community or the community at large. When authors write a book, they write it for a specific audience, right? And I mean like an age audience. So J.K. Rowling had in mind that teens were going to be the ones reading Harry Potter to talk about she who shall not be named. Um, an adult book is written for adults, YA for teen readers, middle grade for younger readers, etc. There's often that crossover appeal, yes, which is why so many adults still read YA and why Jen and I were reading adult romance as baby <laughs> teens, which honestly we probably shouldn't have been, but we did it anyways. Hindsight. <laughs> Hindsight's 2020. But the issue of sexism in publishing and purchasing still prevails. Women authors are constantly shelved as YA, categorized and labeled as such, despite the fact that, like with Akatar, sometimes they really aren't young adult books. I want you guys to think of this. Think of an adult male fantasy or sci-fi writer. Wait a second. Now think of an adult female sci-fi or fantasy writer that is not Sarah J. Moss or Ruby Dixon. N.K. Jemison. N.K. Jemison. Octavia Butler. We're, we're librarians. We don't count. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, exactly. Thank you. Yes. And those are excellent examples too. N.K. Jemison and Octavia Butler. I love them. Amazing writers. All right. Now, think about this. Name me a female YA fantasy or sci-fi writer. Now think of a male sci-fi or fantasy writer. Which one were you able to categorize more of? Probably the female YA writers and the male adult writers right do you guys get what I'm saying I love YA fantasy and I think that there are more YA authors out there doing amazing things including beautiful levels of diversity and inclusivity and romance and creating really unique storylines that are different from anything we've ever seen before but for the love that is 
all of the good things, please stop automatically putting women who write fantasy in the YA section because that is sexism. Boom. Mic don't drop. drop the mic. It's too expensive. <laughs> no dropping the mic. I mean, I don't have a lot of experience with fantasy. The only Sarah J. Moss book I have read has been Throne of Glass. So to me, that is very much a YA book just in a fantasy world. I guess I don't I don't get the is there a reason why people have automatically put women fantasy authors into YA? Is there like do you have an insight on that? And in, in, with all this ranting, no, I do, and it is because historically, women authors. If we think back to our publishing episodes that we've done, we've looked at where women authors have really broken into it. And when we talked about sci-fi, women weren't allowed into the sci-fi writers league until what the eighties or the nineties, something like that. So when they were publishing sci-fi fantasy, women writers for the most part were doing it in the YA space. So historically, yes, we have been women, that's why I say we <laughs> have been writing in the space that is for young adults because that's where we have been able to get traditionally published. But when you look at how we have changed both the sci-fi and fantasy world, we're going to do a whole month on fantasy. I'm dragging Jen into the mud. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> it's probably going to be my birthday month because, you know, my birthday. Um, as we've slowly broken into the sphere and as we've kind of really taken over especially from authors like George R. R. Martin, Brandon Sanderson, which, you know, nothing personal against either of those. I just prefer to read fantasy written by women for specific reasons. If we can get specific, because I know from like think pieces, I've read that George R. R. Martin brings some breasts a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of more rape in those kind of books. And like, I, I totally get why you'd probably prefer a woman author to handle those kind of topics as opposed to George R.R. R. Martin, who's like every single instant of the day, this woman is just so aware of her chest. Because I have seen the, the quotes. Yes, but in like Outlander, there's also a lot of rape, I which know. I oh, did not point. enjoy. Yeah. But that's also written in the 90s as well. So I don't But I also don't know. Diana Gabaldon doesn't write breasts that talk. No, I agree. <laughs> I've read them both and I, I agree. I just. I, and that is a yeah. specific reference to The Witcher for those who do not know. Oh, I did <laughs> like not know. Like page two. Oh, no. They are autonomous. <laughs> it is entertaining. <laughs> um, which also that might be a bit of a translation error because it was translated from Polish. But um what else is in your chest that talks? Like your heart? A queen. Uh, a cootie. Uh, That's okay. Ice Planet Barbarians. It. It, uh, it purrs when it senses your mate. Maddie is, okay. has not yet been indoctrinated. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like one other thing that I've noticed a lot with YA fantasy, going back to your things about how, you know, it really doesn't fit the YA genre. I've noticed with all the book bands, those books are not being challenged, even though you're saying they probably should be. Which I think is really interesting that all of these books are like contemporary. They're very much modern books, aside from like the stuff that's always been kind of challenged, like to um to kill a mockingbird, a mockingbird and beloved. Like those are probably going to be forever. But it is interesting to me. I'm not really. I don't really have an answer to this, but it is interesting that it is so much based on contemporary. And I'm wondering if it is because like these nice women are writing YA fantasy and they're not even worried about it. I also wonder if that isn't in part because fantasy isn't real books according to a lot of these people right sci-fi fantasy those aren't real books we're talking about real literature except for lord of the rings but that was written by a man in the 
20s? About very serious 30s? 40s? 30s? 40s? I think it was post-war? Did Early right 1900s. After? Came back from war? <laughs> well, the whole thing with that one, it was his recollection, like his dealing with war and processing everything he experienced as a soldier. So I think there is a lot of like, oh, well, this is really about war and man stuff that men can kind of hide behind. Even though it's elves. Exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I just saw a really good TikTok about that, that they were talking about like, everybody getting really up in arms over oh it's the new fan it's the new casting of the new lord of the rings tv show and they have black dwarves and black elves and everything and of course all the all the this is off on a tangent but all the uh, white guys and a lot of the white women have been going there aren't black elves they live in caves there is not enough melanin produced there are no black stormtroopers and and um a geneticist came back and she's like you know here's this and this and this but it's also fantasy (laughs) Elves don't exist. Yeah. I almost said Sasquatch, but I can't. Well, Sasquatch doesn't exist, so that's fine. But it's just so weird to me where people close their minds off. Like, sure, there can be dragons and there can be magic. And with George R. R. Martin, I've read interviews, too, where he's very much like, no, all these events have to be very realistic. So a lot of his really terrible things, he's based off real events. of, um, Like the Red Wedding was something that actually happened in history. And he's very much like, I'm not ever going to have the spunky princess that talks back to the prince because she would get murdered. Yeah, it's kind very of thing. War of the roses Exactly, yeah. yeah. But then meanwhile, I'm sure all of his women have shaved pits and legs. <laughs> and then these people are like, oh, we can't have black elves. No. Too far. No. Like, it's just so weird to me, the stuff that people are like, no, you shall not pass. <laughs> See, I did it. I did a reference. I'm so proud of you. Did it. So thank you for entertaining my little fantasy rant there. Because I was thinking, as as Jen sent me this email, and as I was reading through everything, I realized that I don't really read that much YA, YA anymore that's outside of the fantasy and sci-fi realm. Mostly because, I don't know, I guess if I want romance, I'm going to turn to adult. I'm going to turn to Kindle Unlimited, to my smut, to the classic stuff. Well, you know what I realized was I'm looking through all my YA lists and all my YA books, and I can't say a lot of them are purely romance. I think, like we talked about last time, these teens want a lot of different things intertwined with each other. I think puberty is a very crazy time. They've got a lot of stuff going on. So I think they want their romance mixed with more things than just boy meets girl, girl meets boy, fall in love, yada, yada. I have that stuff on my list and those stuff is very important, but I feel like there's always a lot more layers to it now. So on that note, let's talk about some of our favorite layers and tropes. And Maddie has compiled a beautiful full list for us. And even though I don't read much YA romance, I will try to pitch in and I will try not to say Akatar for every single one. I promise. (laughs) I already know Jackie's going to break that promise. Trope was the wordle today. <laughs> I just remembered that. It was. I got it in two. <gasps> On April 2nd, guys, we were relevant in Wordle, which is very yeah. exciting. April 2nd, Wordle spoiler. We're famous. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the first trope we're going to talk about is enemies to lovers. Yes. Everyone loves an enemies to lovers. And mm-hmm. I think similar to Jen and Jackie, when I was kind of going through these lists, a lot of the examples I could think for these tropes were in mm-hmm. the more contemporary or adult romances that I read. Yeah. So I really had to search for some lists for mm-hmm. some of these tropes and to to find some that perhaps I haven't read, but they popped up on a lot of lists and they're very mm-hmm. popular right now. And I feel like all the tropes you compiled, it very much does feel like that's where my mind goes when I think of a YA romance. Like this is the kind of stuff I want to read about just takes place in high school for some reason. Exactly. Like I fake dating. Why. Fake dating is such like a, I mean, it happens in other stories yeah. too, but it feels like such a fun high school trip. But fake dating, especially because you get that kind of like social aspect yeah. of it where it's like, you know, we've, we've got to get some social currency. i got to make my girlfriend jealous. It just feels so much more like so in a bubble. So high school, yeah. yeah. 
And I automatically think Regency in Bridgerton. <laughs> I may or may not have just binge watched that entire season. So. Ooh, I still have to get to season two. But yes, enemies to lovers. So um, I found a definition uh, that was just too good to not quote directly. Mm-hmm. And so the enemies to lovers trope is when two characters start off as enemies and over the course of a book or series end up in a romantic relationship. These enemies have to overcome their differences or misconceptions about each other. And in the process, they fall in love. In some situations, perhaps... One character might be too prideful. <gasps> Another character could have some prejudice. No, <laughs> no way! Plucks my pearls. Um, and, and, a, and a non-YA, but very mm-hmm. um, classic example of Pride and Prejudice is a classic enemies to lovers that we all love. Um, some examples in YA. I couldn't find any examples that I had personally read for these, so these are these come from other lists. Mm-hmm. Um, but one is Serpent and Dove by Shelby Mahurin. And so in this story Lou and Reed are the are the characters who are enemies to lovers mm-hmm. um Lou is a witch Reed is trained to kill and hunt witches need I say more they have to get married for some reason that the summary <laughs> didn't want to give away I'm- so I mean I did download it from Hoopla from reading oh, yeah. this so um, I'm interested that's really funny yeah I love sometimes when they it's just you have to get married for reasons yes you, like, must. you just have to you must. It's just we, there's no reason you the, just have to read the summary was like a no spoiler summary that I read and it was like okay. for plot reasons <laughs> I was like cool thank you an event causes them to get married I was like cool thank you can I tell you one I have read that I really love so one of my favorites that I actually have read is The Wrath in the Dawn by Renee I don't know how to say her last name I'm so sorry Adier it's just this really beautiful retelling of Shesarasad Shesarasad God I can't talk today I'm so sorry guys that's not that's very normal for us though and the, the language was beautiful the story was beautiful and it's very much an enemies to lovers where you're already married which I thought was another really great twist and I thought it just did such a good job retelling the story I will say, though, the second one was not as good. But the first one is very much worth it. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Another one that I have on my list is Better Than the Movies by Lynn Painter. I have not read it, but my friend Megan rated it five stars on Goodreads, and I trust her. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Megan. <laughs> so um, in this story, uh, Liz and Wes have been enemies since childhood, and they're always just paying each other's butts like around the neighborhood, like they've grown up together. And senior of high school, Liz's crush moves back into town and becomes friends with Wes, so now Liz needs Wes's help. Mm to uh to secure a prom date with michael and to kind of get in with michael so of course they're scheming together to help her get the boy Mm. i'm sure that'll work out perfectly i have multiples (laughs) okay so first up is a curse so dark and lonely which i talked about um last month in retellings it is a beauty and the beast retelling it's also got um disability rep in it and it is a girl from contemporary DC is taken pretty much like through a wormhole into this fantastical realm and she has to marry the prince by X amount of day or we all know like, like they're cursed. Um, but she is sassy and clap back, claps back every single chance that she gets and it's, it's excellent. I also have The Guinevere Deception by Kirsten White, which is a retelling of King Arthur from Guinevere's point of view and she is a double agent. It's excellent. <laughs> and last but not least, this one... It's enemies to lovers in the sense, I guess it could be enemies to lovers or star-crossed lovers, because they're on opposite sides of, trigger warning, slaves and masters. Mm-hmm. So it's set in like um, a Persia meets Rome sort of fantasy world. Yes, these are all fantasy. <laughs> um, fantasy world where the heroine goes undercover as a slave to help bring down um, the empire. And the hero is, he's 
one of the top gladiators for the empire and together they uh, they work together to try to bring down this corrupt scheming really bad person and it's really good so those are a couple of our favorites i talking about it with you guys do you guys have a theory on why enemies to lovers is so popular specifically in ya i think it's the pride and prejudice theory i think i think it's just the like oh this person hated me and now like through like getting to know me better they've seen like the good and the bad in me and now they love me and i just i don't know i think that's nice also it's just like very like there's just a lot of banter yes we love a good banter banter we love quips yes yes i think it's the tension too Mm. like as a teen you feel that tension (laughs) with the depths of your soul i still feel that with the depths of my soul very dramatic i'm very dramatic jen um and I think that that enemies to lovers just personifies that. And there's so many good, like, okay, in fantasy and sci-fi, there's so many good, like, battle scenes. Mm. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> We've talked about enemies to lovers so much on the podcast. Uh, I mean, it's hot. yeah, it's very, yeah, it's super hot. It's dramatic. I think when you feel things that intensely as a teen, it's especially, like, mind-blowing, like Jackie said. I think, too, there's that kind of, like, you're getting away with something sometimes, Maybe that's more into Starcrossed, but thinking about mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet and yeah. Pride and Prejudice, it, it gets to kind of like, oh, hey, I'm getting kind of like bad. Look at me with the enemy. Yeah, I think it's also the like the dichotomy of the two mm, very strong yeah. emotions, like hate and love. Like yeah. that saying, like, hate is not the opposite of love. Indifference <laughs> is. They're like, they're Thank just you, like, Rent. <laughs> <laughs> how they're just like different. They're just like these two very intense emotions mm-hmm. that kind of can, can move on a sliding scale. Mm-hmm. I think is interesting and it makes such a good story because it gives you a really mm-hmm. good beginning you get a lot of nice tension a really good build and climb until you get to the climax and then it's finally like yes we're together yeah mm-hmm. it's just no. a good plot device now the opposite well i guess not opposite but a very different vibe from that is friends to lovers yeah, so it's cute similar from enemies to lovers characters start out at friends at the start of the story and their relationship deepens throughout the story for whatever reason and they fall in love in that regard uh, one example that I have from another fantasy YA is Elena and Mal from Shadow and Bone series. Um, it's a pretty popular series. So I don't know if I have to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I have to explain the entire. Um... I do have a question about that because oh, okay. I I have not read the series or seen the show, but I have read the fan fiction with. <laughs> <laughs> but I really like the Darkling and the Elena oh. character. Yeah. So is there? Do ship them, but I mean. Is, is he Spoilers really not- for Shadow and Bone. Alina and Mal are endgame. Oh, that's men to get. Okay. Yeah. Is it? Is it like a? It's like an attraction thing, I guess, or like it's like a. It's a what, definitely what? yeah. It's like an attraction of their power, and then it's also so it is. It is very much an enemies to lovers thing that people wanted and just like isn't there because she and Mal just like grew up together and they have this like deep relationship. Plus, people hate Mal though. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. People he's, do hate him. Oh, he's like um. Ron. He he's kind of like a Ron. But I don't know. He's like another character in a book series that I can't think of. I don't know. Another character in another book. <laughs> Anyways. But what I wanted to say is also the Darkling in the books is bad. Like, yeah. Straight very, psycho very murderer. bad. Like, not a good guy at all. Not even just morally gray. Like, not a good guy. But I think in the first, at least in the first book, they're painted as such, like, opposites. I mean, Elena's power is, spoiler alert, light, sunlight, and his power is dark. Yeah. So it's exact opposites. Yeah. I mean, it makes for great fanfic and the show Ben Barnes. Yeah, when you put Ben Barnes as someone, like, you're gonna gain their sympathy. Prince Caspian. <laughs> but yeah, I, I did not hate Mal like some people did. I think okay. both he and Elena have, like, their own 
faults and issues. So, so I didn't find an issue with it. But some people really hate Malin, so I get that. I mean, um, I guess it's less dramatic than a Darkling relationship. Um, another uh, good contemporary example, which I will be honest, Goodreads told me I haven't read since 2015. <laughs> so I remember liking it at the time in mm-hmm. high school. Um, nope, I was an undergrad. An undergrad. Um, <laughs> um, Anna and the French Kiss by mm-hmm. Stephanie Perkins. Um, it's a big one. And so her senior year of high school, Anna is sent off to a boarding school in France, so in Paris. And while she's initially homesick, she does begin to make friends, including Etienne. And Etienne and Anna become more than friends, or they kind of have a connection, but he has a girlfriend. And so the story is kind of her navigating her senior mm-hmm. year, dealing with that situation and those feelings. And I remember it kind of being a lot of, like, yearning and, like, that <laughs> connection with friends, but, mm-hmm. like, feeling like it could be more kind of thing, which mm-hmm. I think is just such a YA kind of thing. Yeah. Like, that's such a You're so scared to tell book. your feelings. And, yeah. like, it's very vulnerable. Crushes are so hard. I know. And then they probably like somebody else. And it's got to be so much harder now with texting and social media. And then, like, you see your crush at somebody else's party. And, oh, I can't imagine. I was lucky enough to go through most of high school. That I was book. in high school when we had oh. MySpace Top 8. <gasps> <gasps> oh, that must have been devastating. It was not great. <laughs> So one that I have really loved, and one that we have not talked about yet with YA, is Pumpkin Heads, which is a really great graphic novel from Rainbow Rowell, who also did Eleanor and Park, also like a YA amazing thing. And they are seasonal best friends who work at a pumpkin farm every fall. Oh, that's so cute. It is so so adorable, and they've kind of had this this longing and kind of this awareness of each other every year, but they they only hang out during this this job in this very specific time. So now they're finally seniors. It's almost all over. It's like, what's going to happen? Because they're going to go off and yeah. leave each other. And like, are they going to say anything? And it is adorable. Yes. Like the cold cackles of my heart warmed up <laughs> reading this story. It was so cute. And the pictures were really beautiful. They got um, Faith Aaron Hicks also wrote and illustrated it. She re- illustrated it. Which was just, it's beautiful. And I also have a graphic novel I would like to recommend, um, which is soon to become a Netflix series. And the trailer made my, again, the cockles of my heart warm up. Um, And that is Heartstopper by Alice Oseman. So this one is super cute. It's boy meets boy. Boys become friends. Boys fall in love. Um, It's about Charlie and Nick. They're in the same school. And it's British, too. So, you know, you get... One, the show, at least. You get the cute British accents. Um, And one day they're made to sit together. Charlie just came out as gay in his high school. And so, like, he's experiencing all these things as newly out. And Nick is perceived as hetero. So, like, they sit together. Charlie starts falling for Nick. But he's like, no, I can't. He's not into me that way. And, again, it's the yearning. It's super sweet. It's super cute. It's also very poignant. And I cannot wait for the TV show. I am so excited for that one. Yeah, I think a lot of the the friends to lovers is the yearning and the mm-hmm. like. Do they, they feel the same? Yeah, will they? Won't they? Do they feel the same way? Kind of thing. Like, ugh. and I think there's a comfort there, because even if it's your best friend, hopefully they're not going to tear you apart like the Darkling yeah. would. <laughs> yeah. I mean that in the emotional sense, of course. <laughs> I mean, he would also tear you apart. <laughs> And the emotional oh, no! sense. Don't give me that look, Jackie. I got it. Oh no. <laughs> We're, we are scaring poor Maddie. Sorry, Maddie. We're scarring her. Now you have to read. I split her oh, no. I think, yeah, so comfort. I think there's a lot of comfort there. Also, you know what else is really nice? There's forced proximity. Because usually you're expected to hang out yep. together if you're already best friends. That's true. So one thing I do like is the roommates. 
to I mean obviously they can't really do roommates and YA outside of boarding school stuff but yeah you're forced to be together all the time and I feel like that's kind of a larger sense of why YA is popular is the school setting yeah like where else do I have to hang out with somebody for seven hours a day outside of work yeah, especially like the boarding school setting of mm-hmm. Anne and the French Kiss, like stuff like that. Like yeah, you boarding are stuck school. together for good <laughs> or bad. Star-crossed lovers. Okay, so this one is also good. Um, so two lovers doomed to be kept apart no matter how hard they struggle to be together. The classic Romeo and mm-hmm. Juliet. I didn't know if you wanted to go first. You look very excited look for yours, excited. Jackie. Okay. <laughs> okay, yes, because Lainey Taylor is probably one of my favorite authors and one of my auto buy authors so strange the dreamer which is a duology by laney taylor and if you get a chance listen to the audio because steve west narrates it and his voice is like morgan freeman's voice it's it's beautiful but it is about it's a bit hard to describe but basically there are these deity-esque figures and the heroine is a deity figure and I really can't tell you that much because it does contain major spoilers but Laszlo Strange is the hero of the book he was raised as a librarian because he's an orphan and so he was raised in the library and he gets um, hired to go on an expedition to track down this lost city in the desert where these the last of the magical deities live and it is just it it's extremely poignant and it's the end will leave you gasping of book one. <laughs> so I cannot recommend that one enough. And she also has Daughter of Smoke and Bone, which is another fantasy. It's like two worlds, but it's um, the heroine has been reincarnated from this fantasy world into the human world. And she's lost all memory of like the first one. But her one true love, who was also enemies to lovers in their past mm. lives, um, is still stuck in that other one. And so she's trying to figure out how to get back to him that whole time. So this one's a little bit older, and actually before I start, I, I want to confess something to you guys. Is this a safe space? I kind of like the star-cross trope in YA when it ends without them being together. Okay. I know it's kind of controversial. Romance should always end with them together, but they're they're children. I mean, The Fault in Our Stars has that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, spoiler death. for Fault in Our Stars. They died. It was uh, great. Yeah, one of them dies. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that is, it can be very poignant. Okay, good. Yeah, I think it's really beautiful because they're young. So the one I am thinking about specifically is this one called Like No Other by Una La March. I am not saying that right. I'm so sorry to, to you. And the girl in it is a Hasidic Jew who ends up getting trapped in an elevator with her black neighbor down the street at a hospital. And the forced proximity forces them to talk and they start a relationship even though they, they come from these very different worlds and her parents would freak out, like very much freak out. And it's just being a really beautiful story of how it develops. And I mean, kind of spoiler alert, but they don't really end up together because they're 16 and she's got, you know, this all this other stuff in her life. But it was a really nice book. I also, yeah, and in that same vein, I also love the star. The, the sun is also yeah. a star. The sun is also a star from Nicola Yoon, who we talked about last time, wrote Everything, Everything. Honestly, I preferred that way more to Everything, Everything. I thought it was so much more beautiful how she wrapped all of these stories together. If you know the cover, it's like these threads forming everything together. And the story very much felt like of all these threads connecting all of these people together for just this one single day. So I really love those kinds of stories. And those are definitely things you should check out if you need a little palate cleanser from all the other sweetness we are giving you. (laughs) And then in the vein of Romeo and Juliet, this is a very recent book that I just read kind of delving into more recent YA, These Violent Delights by, Mm. yeah, These Violent Delights by Chloe Gong. Um, 
And so this is a Romeo and Juliet retelling um, set in fictional 1920s Shanghai. Uh, so Juliet Tsai and R- Roma Montagov are the heir of two rival gangs, the Scarlet Gang, which is like the more like Chinese-based, Shanghai-based gang, and um, the White Flowers, which are the, is the Russian gang in the city as well. Um, and then a mysterious contagion begins to sweep through Shanghai, and the two must put aside their differences and betrayals in order to work mm. together and solve the mystery and save their city and their family businesses. Mm. Uh, trigger warning for insects because the contagion is like an insect-based thing, and it's <gasps> super so gross. Cool. It's super gross, and it bugged me. Hey! Oh, no. hey! It made my skin crawl, but I got through it. But just. It's okay. We like puns here. But it's so good. There's there's that one. It's a duology. Um, and I really liked it. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. I'm so proud of the pun. <laughs> yes, and the, the description of the book sounds cool, too. Yeah, obviously. That's why I'm tearing up. Two examples that we talked about extensively in the last episode, so we don't have to dwell on them too much, is The Fault in Our Stars by John mm-hmm. Green. Um, they're both terminal, terminally ill. Um, mm-hmm. I think she, I thought she got better, though. She does, but okay. they're there. At the yeah. time, they're terminally. Yes. Yeah, they're both terminally ill and meet in a cancer kid support group, so she doesn't think she has much time left. Um, spoiler, he obviously doesn't have he much does time. die. <laughs> yeah, for a very old book. Um, and then Twilight by Stephanie Meyer. Bella and Edward are star-crossed lovers. <laughs> That's true. Because uh, That's true. she is his personal brand of heroin, if you recall. <laughs> I mean, she's the lamb to his lion. Remember that one? What a masochistic lion. monkey. <laughs> I forgot the spider. Was it? Not in the book, <laughs> just in the movie. Just in the movie, though. But it's still in Yeah. It's beautiful. And then I, uh, some people don't like these, but I love all of the, the Shadowhunter novels. Mm-hmm. I, I've always been into them. Like, I've still been reading them. Um, I wait for the trilogies to finish, and then I just read them all. Um, but the Mortal Instruments series by Cassandra Clare, um, Clary and Jace are star-crossed mm. lovers because they think they are siblings for multiple books. Oh, ew. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's sh- set in the Shadowhunter they universe. They are not. <laughs> Spoiler. But uh, they think they are, and obviously that causes issues. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that they're... It's a fantasy novel, and they fight demons and stuff. So. There's TV shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was a movie. It was yeah, bad. It was terrible. Well, the TV show is supposed to be better. I see everybody shipping the two. Um, I don't know. The demon and the, the wizard. Per- it's not a wizard. Magnus. Magnus. Magnus, Magnus and-, and Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. You got it. See, I'm on Tumblr. <laughs> I pay attention to things. You know what goes really good with a star-crossed lover? Love triangles? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Question mark? Yeah. Well, I'm just reading it. <laughs> yeah. Question no, I know. <laughs> the thing next in my document. <laughs> um, so yeah, a love triangle is a romantic conflict involving at least three people. Um, often, two characters are competing against one another for the mm-hmm. affections of the third character. Uh, this is super common in YA romance. It's yeah. super common in um, the dystopian craze we talked about a lot mm-hmm. um, last week. Um, so we talked about like. Twilight, Team mm-hmm. Edward, Team Jacob. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to me because I feel like teens really do kind of interdate with each other all the time. Yeah. Like, you're into somebody one week, then the next you want you want her best friend. Like, Say that as teens. We're definitely dating so many people. Oh, I was. I, my dance card was full. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be but really old and retro. The <laughs> they just, they loved my rereading of Harry Potter all the time. Like, it really was impressive. <laughs> let me tell you. Another example of that is The Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard. Uh, Mayor Cal and Maven 
are are a love triangle in that. Um, so that's another fantasy novel where it's an economy of the elites where uh, people are divided by their blood. There's red blood for the commoners, silver for the elite, and they the elite people have powers. Um, but Mare is red-blooded commoner who discovers that she has powers um, and is kind of thrust into the world of the royals and the royal court and then is um, engaged to a prince but maybe also likes another prince and there's a little bit of a love triangle that goes on. Yes, and also I will say I was so mad because... I had the ending spoiled for me of this book because I flipped forward to check the page count and oh, I no. saw the ending. On the fourth book? On the first book. On the first only, book. I'm, only, okay. I'm only on the second book reading oh, wise. Okay. But like the spoiler of the first book, I'm not going to say it because it's a big one. Yeah. But the love yes. triangle. Yes. I, yes. And then it ruined the entire rest of the book. But it's a really good book and they are in discussions with Hulu, HBO. They're in discussions with someone to make a TV show out of it, which excited there you go i have to be honest i have gone through my ya lists five times and i can't find a love triangle book that i've read that i can actually recommend that's okay i have a bunch okay good thank god because i'm <laughs> just like i can't give these two guys to you like I, you, you have to trust my taste another <laughs> shadow hunters example is clockwork angel by cassandra claire um so in that trilogy uh tessa will and jem uh, are all kind of in a little love triangle. And I love how this one works out. I think it, it works out in a really nice way. Um, and this is like a prequel trilogy set in 1878 London um, for the Shadowhunter book. So I, I really like how that one goes. I'm probably stealing one from later down in your list. I'm so sorry. But Legendborn by Tracy Dion, which is dark academia. It's diversity. It's a King Arthur retelling. Ooh. And King Arthur's court set it, not Yale, I don't know, set at a big Ivy League school. And um, there is a love triangle between the heroine who, I don't remember. It's a spoiler as to what character in Arthur's circle she is. So I'm not going to say that one. But there is a love triangle between her, um, the Arthur figure, and Nick, who is the Merlin figure. And it it was beautiful. And this book also is just absolutely breathtaking. Again, the audio for it is really good, too. Ooh, I'll have to listen to that. Yeah, I haven't read that one, but that sounds great. And then what I really wanted to talk about, um, because it is it subverts the love triangle in such a great way, and I just finished it this morning, the audiobook, is Iron Widow uh, by Jiran... J- nope, I'm going to try that again. Jiran J. Zhao. Zhao. Yep. Zhao. Iron Sorry. Widow by Jiran J. Zhao. Um, and so this is really subverting the trope because it's set in this dystopian reimagining of like 600s China, and um, she kind of has this, the, the main character, Jetan, she has this person that she is supposed to be like paired with because their powers match. And then she also has the boy from home that she's also into. So it is kind of very, um, very Hunger Games-esque. Mm. But then they all like each other and it's a thruple. <gasps> oh, wow. And it's amazing and it's so good. And in uh, YA? YA. I need to download this. It's, it's so good and because a triangle is the strongest shape oh i like it it's so good there's another one coming out because and it very much ends in a what have we thought this whole time kind of thing like the world is not what we thought it would be in a very ya way um and it's so good it's so good it just completely subverts the whole love triangle thing in a great way that i loved i love it all right and one last one i wonder if it says something about our like psyche that like the tropes that we can recommend and the tropes we love so much to so like how Maddie and I are able to recommend so many like love triangles <laughs> and Jen is like I can't I can't look I, 
I can't recommend any if I want people to respect me. Okay? Because all the ones I've read have been so bad and trash. And you really just read it because it's like cotton candy for your eyes. Yeah. Okay? It's the like vampire diary stuff. Ooh. It's the it's the, the gossip girl stuff. It's not anything I want to be known for liking. Okay. Okay? Okay. But that also says something about our psyche, I feel like. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. It's like, you know. Okay. Yeah, you want to be fought over. <laughs> it's like me and some of my fantasy tropes. Anyways. But one last one for love triangle is daughter of the moon goddess which is a crossover ya and adult it's by sulin tan it just came out in january and it's her debut and it is a retelling of the myth of the moon goddess Chang'e. and i talked about this in our retellings episode too and the goddess's daughter in order to free her mother from prison on the moon where she's in prison for like her past exploits um, the daughter goes down into the, it's not the mortal realm, it's like the godly realm, and she infiltrates the palace there, and it's a love triangle between her, the general of the army, and the prince. Whoa. It was so beautiful, and it was a good twist. It was such a beautiful, good twist, so definitely recommend that one. So then our next trope we're going to talk about is meet cutes. Which I have a lot of those. Are Yeah, adorable. Yeah, because they're cute. Yeah. A meet cute is when two characters who will later form a romantic relationship meet each other for the first time, usually under funny or cute circumstances. It's adorable. It is adorable. It belongs in Hallmark movies. Yeah. It's one of so those kind of things. I know. Don't, you don't have to like the Hallmark movie to, to get the trope. <laughs> so my example that I brought is the, st- the Statistical Probability of Love at First Sight by mm-hmm. Jennifer E. Smith. Um, this is another one that Goodreads that I read in 2013. So I, <laughs> it, if if it hasn't hauled up, then sorry. But um, two teenagers, Hadley and Oliver, uh, sit next to each other on a flight from JFK to London. So they meet kind of in the boring area, and then they happen to be seatma- seatmates by chance. Uh, they talk the whole flight, but then they lose each other in the airport chaos once they land, and it's kind of like, will fate bring them back together kind of thing? Um, and I remember being delighted by it as a recently graduated high schooler Mm -hmm. so one of my favorites is again an older book sorry i'm old it is called a semi-definite list of the worst nightmares by Kristen sutherland esther has a family legend that her grandfather met death and cursed them with suffering one great fear in their lifetime that will lead them to their deaths so like she's got an uncle that never lived to their basement she's got like a lot of very dramatic family kind of things she has spent her life trying to avoid everything she's terrified of just like anything that could possibly hurt her or scare her so she doesn't develop a fear and it doesn't lead to her death and obviously that's no way to live so she meets up with a elementary school classmate and her first crush in a very crazy incident where they decide to go on kind of a journey together where they are going to help her conquer her her fears and it's really nice it could be uh friends to lovers too but the meet cute is really funny i do have one i would like to say so and that is it just came out two weeks ago it's a far wilder magic well at the time of recording this is two weeks ago a far wilder magic by allison saft which is an upper ya fantasy um that deals with a lot of big issues like immigration and politics and um religious prejudice and all that sort of really good stuff i cannot recommend this book enough but the meat cute in this one is that wes who is an aspiring alchemist goes to um, a famous alchemist's house in the country to like hopefully get a an apprenticeship with her because he's failed out of every other single one and her daughter is there alone um because the the head alchemist has like her mom has gone off doing whatever she's not a good mom um 
but <laughs> they meet and Wes like knocks on the door and she's brandishing a gun because she's a hunter. <laughs> That's cool. Oh my so, god. I mean guns, yeah, no, not fun. But it's like it's it's funny in the moment, okay? Um, I haven't read any of these, but some of the other ones that I found, if, if either of you have read them, we could talk about uh, What If It's Us, The Sun Is Also a Star, When mm-hmm. Dimple Met Rishi, oh, that and was cute. Fangirl. Fangirl was, I did not read Fangirl, but I have read really good things about it. Okay. And obviously Eleanor and Park, like people love yeah. Eleanor and Park. I feel like that's another meet cute. It's weird because they usually get folded over into so many other tropes that yeah. when I look at a book, I don't necessarily yeah. am like, oh yeah, Scarlet had a really good meet cute. When really the the appeal of the Lunal Chronicles are so many other things. So one other one I want to talk about meet cute with, and really she can go under a whole lot of tropes, and she's really just. Uh, I was rereading my notes that I wrote for her years ago, back when I was a teen author. Her name is Katie McGarry, and for whatever reason, she just wrote teen fiction that made me lose my mind. It was just so <laughs> cute and heartwarming, and it made me grow a soul and. I'm sure if I read them today, maybe I'd be less affected. But at the time, I was just like, ah! Like, very much just so cute and screaming. Your Grinch heart. Yeah, my Grinch sizes. heart. It grew so big. <laughs> so I'm sure she's got lots of things under Meet Cute. But it just felt like almost everything I read by her, except uh, the first one in the motorcycle series wasn't, like, amazing. But everything else I read by her was just so good. And she had great characters. So definitely Katie McGarry, if you want one that's a little on the back list. I don't hear people talking about her, which is a giant shame. But very good, and we have most of them here at Nopal. So the next trope is the the stuck together or forced proximity trope. <laughs> stuck in the middle of you. No, no singing. <laughs> Sorry, <buddy>. it's okay. <sighs> this is when plot points in the story create circumstances which force the two main characters, who are the love interest, to be Ooh. stuck together and spend time together often against their will. <laughs> uh, so my example for this, uh, just showing more Labardieu love, is Six of Crows yes! duology. Yep, uh, Nina and Matthias. Waffles. <laughs> yes, waffles. Um, so the story is set in the Shadow and Bone, the Grishaverse er- uh, universe. And so the main story is a crew of teenagers are set to pull off a heist against the warring nation. Um, but throughout the story, you, you see through flashbacks that Nina and Matthias, they were stuck together to survive after a shipwreck of a prisoner ship. And... Um, Led to them connecting in some ways. There yeah. was canoodling. <laughs> there was only one bed. It was great. Another story is Love and Other Train Wrecks by Leah Conan. And I have not read this one, but it did come up on a lot of lists when I was searching for this trope. And it's described as two teens dissect their issues over the course of an eventful journey. <laughs> I kind of love those where it's like a bottle episode. Yeah. It's really cute. And so this, uh, so Noah and Amy uh, meet on a train that soon breaks down during a snowstorm. And because they're desperate to make it to their destinations, the two head out into the storm to trek to a bus stop about a mile away. And through all this, their travels get complicated and they continue to travel Mm -hmm. together out of necessity. They're talking, barbs are being thrown which way. Mm -hmm. Um, And they perhaps fall in love along the way. (gasps) Perhaps. Perhaps. (laughs) So don't get angry at me at this one but I can't remember the title or the author <laughs> but I can describe the book <laughs> perfectly the book? it's I don't know okay so I'm gonna give you a description so it is two references enemies interview. 
Yeah, exactly. Here we go, Jen. Okay, so it is two enemies. The cover is white, and it's got a red Mustang on it, and the hood is popped, and the girl is, like, looking into the hood, and the guy is leaning on the back of the car with a guitar because they are both on a road trip. Thank you, eidetic memory. They are both on a road trip. However, they've been forced on this road trip together because they both have to be at the same place, and the guy's best friend is like, hey, this girl can take you, and the girl's like, well, I need gas money, so I guess, but they're enemies so they end up going but the car breaks down and they have to share a hotel room this is a ya this is a ya it doesn't get spicy it's more like i mean they build up the like the pillows in the middle of the bed that sort of thing (laughs) but that's all i remember so if anybody knows that book oh my goodness can i just say that i am the best librarian here because i found the book that jackie was trying to describe just off the cover at it and you tried to tell me it wasn't it okay (laughs) but i would also like to say that you still cannot find that book that i described when we first met that was about horses and it was horses like anthropomorphically living i emailed horse museums i think this book you just made up in your head It was a whole series, and it was like horses talking. But anyways, okay. I mean, I'm a crazy horse girl. So the book I was thinking of is Lauren Bernholtz's Two-Way Street, and it's about Jordan and Courtney, and they were totally in love. They were the high school, like the high school couple, opposites attract, but then they broke up. Um, the problem is that they're going to the same college and they're driving cross country together for orientation. So when he dumps her for a girl he meets on the internet, Ooh. awkward. It's it's okay though in the end. Um, it's too late to change plans. She needs the money for gas. So she's like, you know what? I can tough it out for a few days. But then he's actually, he cares. And there are deeper reasons the why they broke up. And it wasn't a girl on the internet. Is it a guy on the internet? No, no. They do end up together in the end. It is H-E-A. Um, but it, I, it was super cute. So thank you, Jen. Good job. You've earned a librarian star for the day. All those years of schooling and the six-figure student loan debt was worth it for this moment. There you go. I did it. Good job. Now find me my horse book. I, I, what do you want me to do? I think you made it up. I think you dreamed this. I don't think this horse book exists. I can't be that mean to a real patron. I would not meet that mean to you. But, like, this is Jackie, so I don't care. So now our final trope that we're going to talk about today is the fake dating trope. <gasps> okay, this one is fun. So this for some fun. reason that will often benefit one of the characters, two characters start a fake relationship, and along the way they fall in love for realsies. <laughs> you know what's been disappointing to me in my adult life? That I have not come across an occasion for fake dating yet. No, no one's I just feel like, you. like media made it feel like it was going to happen more often than it has. And I am a great liar if he, I mean, I can act like I can fake it really well. I think I would be a really great fake girlfriend for an hour until I can't handle it anymore. But I am available for people because I am really disappointed that one of my favorite tropes has not happened to me. So one of the, my favorite ones is to all the boys I've loved before, which I think everybody is aware you of at this point. You stole mine! I did! A thief! <laughs> No, you can go. <laughs> See, I could steal your heart too. Oh. So, yes, to all the boys I've loved before, which I think people are well aware of now, thanks to Netflix. And if you don't know, for some dumb reason, Lara Jean writes letters to herself. Her evil sister, spoiler alert, not evil, but like mischievous sister, mails it to her crushes because she is exactly like the sister exi- experience, I've been told. And the crush gets it. And she's like, hey, let's fake date. That is it in a nutshell, very badly. But it's so good. You guys should watch the movies. And the end was really sweet. I finally, finally read that, the last one this year. And it was really sweet. So good job, Lara Jean. Cool. I have none. Wow, Jackie. 
it's not a huge I mean it mm-hmm. is a huge trope in YA but I I do feel like a lot of the ones that I have read mm-hmm. were in um in more adult romances so I yeah. do have some examples of them but I haven't read them so mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we can quite recommend them but they did pop up on a lot of like fake dating lists for YA romance were Frankly in Love by David Yoon oh, that, that one popped cute. up a lot mm-hmm. uh Things I Hate About Pinky by Sandhya Menon mm-hmm. um Meet Cute Diary by Emery Lee. Uh, Clickbait by Anne Vallett. So a lot of examples out there. Just apparently we haven't read them. So I don't want to give you a stamp of approval if we haven't actually read it. But they, they pop up on a lot of lists. And so mm-hmm. it's definitely a very popular trope. And a lot of the ones that I was finding are also often um, people of like Asian or Indian cultures who oh, are like, yeah, for, like true. family or cultural reasons mm-hmm. were like hiding behind a fake relationship because like their parents are trying to get them, want them to yeah. get married or like things like that, or like trying to get their parents off their back about something. Mm-hmm. So it was very interesting how many of them were um, of different cultural experiences within mm-hmm. that trope. Cause I was coming across it quite a lot and I was like, Oh, that's so interesting. I yeah. hadn't thought about that. Cool. Glad we learned something today too. Well, thank you so much, Maddie, for coming up with that list for us. I think that is absolutely true to YA and the YA experience that if you are into YA romance, it's probably what you're looking for. So if you guys do not agree with us on what tropes are important in YA romance literature, please email us at ragingromantics at nopal.org and fight with us on the internet. (laughs) I will cry, but you will, it'll be fine. You won't care. You won't see it. So one final time. Thank you so much, Maddie. What are you? Yeah, we are really happy to have had you. And if you guys are curious and appearing on the podcast, let us know that too. We let our really cool intern on there. If you have a theme, if you have a topic, if you have something you could talk about, reach out. Raging Romantics. And with that, I think we can close the book on YA Romance. Are you going to close it? (laughs) I am very excited. I don't have to think about it again as much as I have enjoyed this. So, Jackie, what are we doing next month? Uh, okay okay so next month you should be excited but first off again thank you so much maddie we really appreciated having you on thank you it was very entertaining and we learned a lot of things um but yeah so next month to look forward we are going to be talking about publishing finally i know it's, it's a lot more exciting than it sounds i promise because all month long we're interviewing authors we have an author on almost every single episode, including the mini-sodes. Mm-hmm. So first and foremost, you guys should mark down the first Friday in April. Mm-hmm. Because we interviewed the dynamic duo themselves, Christina Lauren. <gasps> Crowd goes wild. And it was a really fun interview, guys. They talked a lot about their writing style, how they've come together as partners. So you definitely need to check it out because it was fascinating and it is a very good look at mainstream publishing. No, not April. May. Sorry, it's coming out in May, not April. I said April. (laughs) So yes, May 2022. Make sure to tune in. Um, The first Friday of the month, we're going to have a Christina Lauren interview and we're going to talk about traditional publishing in Romancelandia and some of the uh, pervasive issues that are there. Um, And then each of the minisodes, we get to sit down with an independent author. We have um, a hybrid author, so somebody who publishes um, in a model that is very, like it combines traditional 
self-publishing with indie publishing. We have a Harlequin author, which is very exciting. And we also have a local indie author her author who self-pubs. So that's going to be very exciting. And then we're also going to look at self-publishing as a whole for our last episode of the month and kind of take a look at all of the different ways and how romance books and romance publishing has started to really change the scene of indie pubs. We've been talking about it for a very long time, so I'm very excited to finally bring it to you guys. So with that, Jen, what do we always say? Rage on! Bye, guys. Maddie, give us one last goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) 